We'll get the the good equipment. I just noticed. I noticed all the newscasters seem to be wearing these when they're on CNN. So I thought, okay, maybe they know something that I don't know. You know. Mm. And I think I'm wrong. I mean, I think they're wrong. They just maybe they just don't. They want to look good. They they know they can't look good with big old orange headphones on. Okay, guys, how you doing? Welcome to My Racist Friend, a podcast about the messy parts of relationships that help us grow together. I'm Amy McKees. And I'm Don Griffin Jr. So, Don, how has this week been for you? I don't know yet. You don't know yet? It's Saturday. I've stopped doing that thing where somebody asks you, like, how's your day? How, how was your day? Because you mm-hmm. just never know. And things that you do today, may they may not turn out for the best that day, but maybe a year later, it becomes something, you know? So Absolutely. Kinda, yeah. Kind of hard to say uh, how my day was, was or how my week was. Mm-hmm. It's kind of busy, but. Oh, there was a debate, but I didn't watch it. But. It was I, terrible. He got the COVID too. Like, yeah. You know, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the fact that You've got this person who is responsible for hurting many, many lives and actually deaths. You know, at first you kind of, you're, you're like glad that he got it, but then you realize that's wrong to actually want someone to, to feel pain. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it, it's, it's really, it's really bugging me. And I go back and forth. Trump is one of the most challenging loving kindness targets like if you do the meditation like sharon salzberg has a book all about loving kindness it's it's a a meditation that's based on buddhist practices but it you it the way sharon salzberg describes it you start with loving kindness toward yourself and then toward someone that um that you love that it's easy to do it's not supposed to be like a romantic thing just like someone that is helpful and loving toward you and then someone that you don't really have strong feelings about like they always say like the clerk at the grocery store and then someone that you really don't like i would say that i've um, heard from several people that do that meditation that have found that trump is one of the most challenging (laughs) like Mm. they'll almost get there and i i i tried a little bit of that whatever morning that his diagnosis came out, I had just like literally just spent some time thinking I want my speech to offer comfort and compassion and love today. And then I came out and uh, one of my kids was like, Trump has COVID and like out the window, all my hard work at that meditation. (laughs) He's tough. It's hard. 
I've, I've been thinking about whiteness this week and power because relational cultural theory explicitly looks at power. My daughter and I go on these walks. Power walks? No, or, no. Or, or white power walks. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> They're um, meanders. Like we just sort of wander around and we talk about stuff. We've noticed lots of yard signs. Um, in our neighborhood, it feels like there's a ton of yard signs that basically say, I really can't stand Biden, but please vote for him. But they say it like in ways of saying like, united behind Biden or get Trump out or uh, anyone but Trump. And or by Don. I love that one. Have you seen uh, that one? No. B-Y-E-D-O-N. No, and it's, it's done in the same font and style as their camp, their campaign stuff. Style, yeah. Yeah. Biden. It is by Don. I, I was like, oh, that's creative. Oh, I didn't tell you on our way to Madison, we passed several Trump flat, like these giant flags that yeah. hung from the front of people's houses that yeah. say like make America great across the top and then Trump 2020. And then at the bottom, it says no more bullshit. I love how they pretend like he hasn't been in office. <laughs> I love the signs that say, had enough, vote Republican. <laughs> a couple of the signs that we pass say, you know, there are lots of Black Lives Matter signs. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple that say something along the lines of white silence is violence. Hmm. We were talking about these signs and she said, I think that sign would be more accurate if it said whiteness is violence. Hmm. I have been chewing on that ever since. And here's a few things about it. I, I will tell listeners and maybe this is already for a link in the notes that our conversation with Amy Banks gets to part of this. And that is as white people, we have the genetics passed down in us of ancestors that raped, murdered, pillaged, stole. Like they didn't pioneer into this beautiful land and tame the savages, which is what we're taught. And that's the truth. And we carry that in us, A. B, we are also taught that what we've done was um, not only harmless, but helpful, like by celebrating Columbus Day and any movie, any Cowboys and Indians type movie, which I, I don't know about you, but I definitely grew up with that narrative. And, and the fact that just whiteness as a concept was invented to create hierarchies, to hold yes. white as the standard against which everything else is measured. Okay, so yeah, I don't, mm, I don't, I think you have to still love yourself. I'm love I, who you are and love your love your heritage. However, I think the concept of white, mm -hmm. the, I think when you break it down and you identify the identification of white in itself could be construed as, like you said, violent. If you want to take all that on. By saying that, by taking every negative thing that any white person has done, 
I don't think you have to take that on. I think that's too much. I think you become, I think you, I, I think before saying that, I think you really have to think about it. Let's get back to like what was happening a couple of weeks ago that we were paying attention to where you had these so-called white folks that pretended to be black for years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's okay to do, to be a white person and do the work, do work, but just, but these folks actually decided to pretend like they were black. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I think it would have been okay if they had have just been who they were. That's okay. You can be a good person and be white. I think we have to stop using that term white by that's general. That's too broad. Um, because you're more than that. I mean, I think what you've got red hair. So where are you from? Where are your people from? I, I think a lot of British and French and okay. Scottish. Okay. You're just white then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my, my ancestors are all over the place fighting native Americans. Like, it, 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 you know, without the one drop rule, I mean, in, in a sense, I'm white too. You know, my great grandmothers. Uh, and, but, and, but that passes down epigenetically speaking as well. And the whole whiteness as violence, like the concept of it and what violence looks like, you know, like I think in the past, at least we've had all this pressure to be reasonable, to not upset people in our discussion of racism. And, and I've said this before I say it, I feel like I say it constantly. The goal of RCT is not to avoid upsetting people. I was reading an older essay on power by Judy Jordan because I wanted to like dig into this a little bit more. And she opened it by talking about how when she was a little girl, she loved going to the movies on the weekends. And it didn't occur to her to interrogate like that experience, why she was, why she could go to the movies. She could go because she was white and the stories that the movies were telling that white people are heroes. And then going to school without being told the story that she's from a line of people that stole land and killed people in order to live there. And then going to school and not having anybody contradict the story of pilgrims who were sharing Turkey and kindness and Columbus, but rather all of the implicit biases that like she started her life with being just reinforced by education. I could totally relate to that. And when Amy was on the show, Amy Banks, she was talking about like the stuff that is, that is implicit. That's like inside your body that you respond to faster than rational thought, like so, so, so much faster than rational thought. And so rather than being defensive about whiteness being violence, spending some time looking at the implicit parts like you you don't want that like none of us want that but but if we can't accept it and see it we can't fix it if we keep trying to make it sound nicer like well white people are just more entitled or white people are bad potato salad makers that's actually true I know. <laughs> you know what, what, what you're saying is interesting because 
the implicit bias, the same programming that you have is the same exact programming that we have, that Black people have. Right. The same images that you're seeing, the same implicit biases that you see. Think about that. No matter what you're telling your Black kid, you know, you, you are great. You are this, you are that. But they have the school, they have everything. They have the movies telling them what they should be. Mm -hmm. Out of the gate, because of the programming, you have to have parents that are reconditioning. And if they even notice, okay, because, you know, as much as I notice it, I mean, am, am I affected by that? Am I deeply, deeply affected by some of the things that I grew up with? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's a constant battle, you know, and it's a constant battle. You, you also have to play the game, right? If you want to succeed in this world, this world that we live in, you have mm -hmm. to, there are things that I should be mad at, right? I should mm -hmm. be mad at the things that you just said, right? Not you personally, but the way that I'm perceived like on a net, like, as a black person right away, like you said before, I can't even get mad about that. I'm, I'm supposed to be calm and collective right. or, or, or I present a different stereotype. That's the problem. I can't be the angry black man. No. It's like you have to quietly fight. Yeah. Maureen Walker released an essay yesterday on her website about Karens, basically like mm. exploring that concept. And I go, no, nah, I'm not going to go there. No, but, go ahead. Why not? Why not? That's what we're here for. Go there. I go to these meetings of my RCT people whom I love. And because we're psychotherapists who embraced a feminist therapy from the beginning, we are almost exclusively women. I mean, there's, there are a few men that jump in, but we are also super white. And I wonder, like I've learned from being able to talk to you and getting to understand your experience to the point that I've started now when I'm in a position that I, I can notice, like where I might have, you know, five years ago said, oh, you know, he's just a good old boy. I'm not going to rock the boat here by mentioning that that's a super racist thing to say. Now, when I hear it, I think, what if Don were standing right here? Like, what would that feel like? And it's likely this person would say it anyway. So I am going to say, whoa, baby, let's walk this one back a little bit hmm. and, and talk about it. But that's from my connection with you. And I can think of one time that, that we had a this is several years ago, so it's not, we were uh, just sharing in a bit, but it was a pretty big circle of people. And I was sitting with a black woman and she had just shared her fears and her experience raising a black son. And it was super emotional and like, at least those of us sitting close to her were profoundly moved, both by her trust of us in sharing that. And also, you know, that it wasn't necessarily what we had been talking about. We weren't as focused on race 
Mm-hmm. And as I was taking that in, someone else, like far away in the room, said, can we also apply this to the environment? <laughs> and <laughs> you and Kevin left. I, I remember like getting this flash of red, like on my, like being like, what just happened? And a lot of people were like, oh yes, that's such a great idea. And they're not wrong. Like, yes, it is a good idea to apply relational cultural theory to the environment because everywhere needs that. Like we have to, it, I think RCT could also help us find new ways to interact with the environment that wind up with us destroying it slightly less. I mean, we're, I think we're still sure. destroying it, but you know, maybe walking it back a little bit. And I think that's important. I, I did not think it was the appropriate time to have that conversation. And I asked my friend about it later and um, she hadn't heard. Okay. <laughs> and, and her reaction, I can't necessarily uh, recreate, uh, but she was frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I didn't quite know what to do with that. And I still don't quite know what to do with that because whether you are letting it come up into your consciousness or not, all white people are having to deal with this stuff that we carry. And I'm not saying hate yourself for being white. Like I'm not saying let's hate all white people or, but I'm saying you can pay really close attention to how you move in the world as a white person and how a black person has to move in that same context. And then you can do things to make more room make less room for whiteness, basically. And that's essential. (laughs) I mean, but the fact that you get that and the fact that other people get that, but that's a step in the right direction. But there are some people, a large group of people, I mean, who knew it was so many of our country, you know, in our country, actually not our country, just the world uh, in general, where you have a group of folks that say, you know, it's, our country, or it's our world. We control everything. And if you don't like it, then leave. Or men in general that don't recognize that they have privilege over women, or mm-hmm. white men who don't realize that they have a privilege that this world was made for them. They don't believe in the privilege. They, right. think it's, they think it's fake, you know? And I mean, that's implicit. Implicit bias is institutional racism mm-hmm. for people who don't know. I don't know how many people have said, I've said, oh, institutional racism. And they're like, tell us what's institutional. You know, explain to us, right. like, like there's no institution. Explain, you know, you do really well. I see that you do really well. How can you say that? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, hands up, you know, I'm done. In her essay, uh, Maureen lists like several recent times in her life that she's been hit with implicit, but also she also talks about the way that we're using language right now to sort of soften. And I, I, I think that's part of why I like this idea of thinking whiteness is violence, because what we do is we soften the language around it. Like instead of saying, I want white soccer moms to be afraid we say suburban moms, and that, that's one of the things that she talks about in there, that 
that she lives in the suburbs and is aware that they're never talking about her when they talk about suburban moms. But we use this language to sort of talk around it, you know, like that cities are dangerous, for example, would be mm -hmm. one of them. See, and you can, you can say these things, but I can't. Right. I have to still use code words. You know, I can't just go out and post on Facebook right now. Wait, this is violence. Oh it's my violence. <laughs> right? Right. Right. I guess when my daughter first said that, I was like, oh, like I tensed up like all the way through my body. I was like one giant wad of tension. And I was thinking to myself, well, that's extreme. <laughs> like, here we go. This is too extreme. I can't do this as is almost always the case in these conversations, when I let myself sort of breathe into it and listen and just think about it, I start to get it. And so I wanted, I wanted really to talk about this here because I knew that it was hard for me to process this. And, and I feel like I've been working really hard at uncovering my own stuff here. And so I wanted to share something that ha that was hard for me to make sense out of, but that eventually I did and I see, and I think of, I, I feel like the word trauma gets used a lot. And I definitely think being torn from your homeland, put into slavery and then forced to produce more slaves and to, to be tortured and trapped and murdered and kidnapped there was a list of like words to use that are better than the ones that we have been using and i'm trying to use those because i think the words really matter so i think that kind of trauma is a lot worse but i also want to say that all of us carry generational stuff like we carry who we are and who our grandparents were and the only way to make it better is to see it and to see it in an accepting, in an, and I don't, I don't mean accept racism, but I mean accept, geez, these people did not know what they, or they did know what they were doing and were awful, but for the most part, they wanted to live righteous lives. Like they managed to lie to themselves enough to dehumanize black people enough or women that they could do this. Mm -hmm. If I can't accept that it's there and hold it, with some amount of care, I can't notice it when it springs into action and I otherwise might not notice that I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. I know we have to focus on the history, but it's hard to explain how that, how something that happened a hundred years ago or 200 years ago still affects what we have now. There's, there's people there that will just say, well, that was back in the day. Like, I, you know, I've never had slaves. My parents never had slaves. So I don't know why we're still talking about this. I think what's interesting about what we do, me and you, is that we talk about things that have happened in our lifetime, that have happened mm -hmm. recently, right? Th that, that shows that racism still exist. Mm -hmm. I think we need more stories about that. Things that we've talked about are not isolated incidents. Mm -hmm. They happen all the time. When you talk about to your friends about your high school experience and how cool it was and all this other stuff, 
you know, our friends are about are in their fifties now. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and some of them were in classes that I weren't in. They were like, you know, you're a couple of years older mm-hmm. than me or a couple of years younger than when I talk to them now as adults mm-hmm. about what their experience, and I'm talking about athletes. I'm talking about people that you thought were living it up at Bloomington high school, South or North. And they talk to me about their experiences in high school or just in general. It's so sad. They don't have the same, the white kids went to a totally different planet than the black kids. Mm-hmm. And they don't even know it. I mean, they're the black guys and the black girls, they're in the pictures too, you know, the yearbook pictures you see them, you know, or they're holding up a trophy or whatever. But their stories are profoundly sad. I can't yeah. think of anyone that I've talked to that has said, yeah, it was the greatest time of my life. And there's more of those. Yeah, my son's, I can't tell his stories. He needs to tell his own stories. And, and, and you know, he's nine, he was just there. Mm-hmm. It's still there. I mean, in Maureen's essay, she talked about um, her own experience, like going to her local suburban independent bookseller with her book and being told that that is probably more more appropriate for an urban audience. Yeah. Yeah. And they wound up not doing the event that she was offering to do. Like, I can't imagine not wanting Maureen to come into your place and talk like I'd be over the moon or or she talks about a woman who got either like demoted fired or somehow in trouble because she was in a meeting and her boss who had worked like really hard to create this were a team vibe of, of of all white people and this black woman rolled I'm using air quotes rolled her eyes at the boss Actually, what had happened is she had something in her eye, like a hair had gone into her eye. So she wasn't even like rolling her eyes, but white people can roll their eyes like for the most part in in meetings and maybe get a, hey, could you be more supportive from their boss, but not get a, you were being insubordinate and now you're in big trouble. The anger, like you were saying, like you have to be so calm and not show you've got like a really narrow bandwidth of the emotions that you get to show. And and Amy, even when you tell a story that's profoundly hard for you, you have to end it on a positive note. I I do that all the time. I'm like, but you know what? Because of this, this happened. And then people are like, oh, well, thank you. Thanks for that. Like, but sometimes the shit is just fucked up. And I bring that up because I, I, today when I was working out at my workout session, someone asked me, Don, so how did you get in real estate? And, you know, I had to tell the story. Well, you know, they put me on probation and the guy told me, you know, you, there's not enough black people for you to sell property to. So we don't understand how you're going to make it. But we're going to give you, uh, you know, we're going to give you a year to, to try it. You're going to be put on probation. That was my first job in real estate. Mm. And luckily I was, uh, I, Bob Pickens came and saw what I was doing and took me away from them. But you know, the, even then I took that as a positive. I didn't look at it as, oh, they really want me to just say no. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Challenge. 
you have to be careful with your your stories it's as bad as the united states treats my people it is our country like besides the uh indians not indians i shouldn't even say indians oh my god what's wrong with me <laughs> native americans besides the native americans yeah. our people were made here this is the only country we know. We we know of a continent, mm-hmm. but we don't know what country we're from. We're mixed up. We were mixed here. Mm-hmm. We love this country. So when we fuck up as a country, as USA, it hurts our feelings too. When we're not the country that we think we are, because we bought into that stuff. How, you, think about how many, what percentage, I, I don't even know the percentage of brown and black people who are in the armed services, but it's quite high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they don't do it just because that's all they have to do. They do it because they love the country. Yeah. Right? All these different pieces sort of come together, for me at least, to help me realize some things. This morning, I'm not sure why. I think because I one of the conversations that I've been having with my daughter is about like, bias in mental health work and my thoughts on what I do and my concerns about my field. So I was looking up specifically to see if other people were writing about the problematic nature of the diagnosis borderline personality disorder. And it's too much like too long to go into here, but it's problematic. But I was looking it up and I found an article, again, a Judith Jordan article where she had a client and they were talking and and this client, the first thing I found when I looked was a thing like talking about how to group together the symptoms that would lead one to call borderline to to use that diagnosis. Um, And one of them was desperately trying to maintain relationships. And I was like, wow, that's (laughs) like that we have a diagnosis for someone trying to make sure their relationships stay basically relationship anxiety being a source of pain for them. And that's a symptom of a mental illness is super nutto in my mind. But so what Judy was talking about is that she'd had some of these conversations with this client and this client was hospitalized and the doctor called Judy while the client was in the room and said, you know, it's borderline, it's borderline. And Judy was trying to figure out how could she like what to say. And I've been in this position like twice recently where I've had someone say to me, don't you think that person's borderline? And I've been like, hmm, no. In my cases, it felt super easy to be like, no, because I didn't see it at all. I'm curious. So they won't, sounds like they don't ever get rid of relationships uh or they they have extreme trauma it's when relationships end even if the relationships yeah. weren't good it can result in a lot of instability in relationships like a lot of hot and cold and that's really hard traditionally like the way that people frame it in therapy they will talk about how you know angry they get at therapists and so it's because they get too close and then they are scared of that. And so, and this is like a whole long, long conversation. And I don't, I think it's one worth having because looking at racism, sexism, all the isms and how they play out in our mental health and how we decide what is healthy and what is not healthy is uh, a really interesting dive. 
But anyway, <laughs> Judy was in a conversation with the doctor and the doctor said, I think this is borderline. And Judy was feeling pressured and wanting to, you know, I don't know all of her motivation, but she wasn't quite sure how to answer. And she agreed. She said, okay, yes. And the doctor said, yep, she said it borderline to the patient. And that like really hurt the therapist patient relationship, client relationship, because when she came back, she was, she was like, that hurt. Like that was devastating to me. And Judy was able to recognize how that wounded her client and then talk about how could she be authentic and connected to her client and what could she say in the future? And so she had this conversation with her client. They agreed on, you know, so if it's me, I'm the client, then they, that Judy would say, Amy is someone I care very deeply about. And that was the sentence. And their relationship, you know, improved from there and the symptoms that were causing this client pain decreased fairly dramatically from there too. And it was just that act of naming the connection and, and honoring it in an authentic and honest way. We want to, we want to share the exciting thing that's happening this week. Thursday, right? Yeah. October the 8th. Yep. October 8th. I can't believe it's October. Mm -hmm. fly, the fly, we are participating in the Flyover Podcast Festival. Let's see. Let me read this. Don and Amy will participate in a virtual session at the Flyover Podcast Festival. I should have said Amy and I <laughs> will participate in a virtual <laughs> session at the Flyover Podcast Festival hosted online by Dimension Mill. Uh, it will be at 2 p.m., correct? Yep. yep. Or, two, or, you know, with me, maybe 2.15. That, no, I'm no. Teasing, I'm teasing. <laughs> I will be there. I will be, I will be there early. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to really be. Are we going to just do this? We're, we're, are we going to do this? Yeah, it's like we're this. Gonna, we're going to Zoom? Yes. So me and you are going to be Zooming apart and then Zooming into the thing? Yes. Yes, they have sent us a Zoom link already, but we will send it to you on Thursday, too, so you don't have to worry about it between now. Okay, okay. So 2 p.m. session, sharing the messy parts of relationships. Uh, they will talk about how they started in this podcast, the impact it has had, and what they hope to accomplish by continuing to share their conversations. I'm so sorry because, you know, I'm talking like it's in the third person, right? Like, because Kevin wrote this, you know, and so it's hard to like convert it all. But uh, uh, get tickets to the October 8th through 9th festival at half price by using the discount code. And this is all uppercase friends. So, F-R-I-E-N-D-Z, friends. So, so that's happening this week. And we've been ending our podcasts with talking about things that give us hope. Like I've had one and I'm so excited to share it. You know, I told you last week about how I always have these, like I get on Facebook and I feel worse afterward. And so then I try not to get on Facebook. I was doing another let's get on Facebook and see what's there. And I thought of looking up a friend from several years ago who's moved away. 
and she said it was okay for me to read this, um, but not, but doesn't want attribution. Although I think it's one of the best things that I've read in a while. Can you whisper her name to me? I, I will after the, after Do the I know recording. her? I don't know. It seems, I, I, I don't know. You'd like her if you did. Okay. Um, okay. This is what she wrote. Surprise. I woke up this morning to discover the debate made a lot of people mad. If that's you, I hope you'll resist the urge to read commentary and or yell on social media all day long. Do not waste your precious self on outrage without action. You are far too important for that. Instead, pause, breathe, recenter yourself in what matters most to you, and then do at least one thing to create positive change today. That might be connecting with another human being who needs some TLC. It might be making a donation or sending texts or making calls. Maybe you'll recommit yourself to a local organization working for change. Perhaps you need to make an appointment with your therapist, doctor, spiritual director, or get yourself to a recovery group meeting. Maybe it's investing in a child and helping them feel secure and loved in the midst of this chaotic year. Perhaps you need to set a timer for 20 minutes, light a candle and pray or meditate to find the deep river of peace running through your soul. Outrage without action is not useful. It's self-congratulatory and creates a damaging feedback loop where we crave more and more. It's harmful and the world needs you. Yes, you, to bring the fullness of your beautiful, beloved, whole self to this moment to be love, to work for justice, to point toward hope and healing. They want us scared. They want us off center and thinking with our amygdalas. They want us to feel alone and divided from everyone around us. They want us hopeless and paralyzed. They will not get what they want. Not today, not tomorrow. We are too deeply rooted in love and we know we are empowered to act and create lasting change for us. We have work to do and we will not be distracted. I think in each of those statements, it could hit a different person. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I loved. To me, it, it captured a lot of what, yeah. what I want from RCT is she's not saying like, go punch people. She's, She's saying be fierce in your, in your love and in your fight for justice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. So I think that was our positive right there, wasn't it? Well, it was mine. Oh, you <laughs> took somebody else's positive message and made it your own. Can you do that? Yes, I did that. Oh, my God. You're allowed to do that. Like if, if you're lucky enough to know someone that positive, you get to share it. Uh, I love fall. That's the positive. I love the change okay. of the leaves. I'm going to get out there. You know what? We live in a beautiful, not perfect, but my gosh, is Bloomington beautiful. It really is. I mean, it, God. it really is. It really is like being on vacation year round. Since I don't travel much, because I'm scared of flying, first of all, so I only travel when it's necessary uh, on a plane. And I've just been really busy this year. And COVID, so I wasn't able to do my one tank trips, my drives. But if you're coming to Bloomington, I always try to think about 
coming to Bloomington for the first time. Yeah. And what things look like. You know, when I when you look at the topography, things that you've seen for your whole entire life are just beautiful. The the, the third street, East Third Street is beautiful. If you're going east on East Third Street and all of a sudden it just it's just beautiful. There are just certain there's certain areas that where where Valentine peaks up out of the trees, mm-hmm. you know, on a hill. It's on a hill, and you're like, "What is that?" I mean, you know what it is, right? Mm-hmm. But could you imagine as you're coming over? What is that, Th- Kirkwood, at the top of the hill where the cemetery is, and you're there, and all of a sudden you see this hill off in the distance with trees around it. And there's this little tower peeking up out of it, shining. And you're like, oh my God. Like that's your first view of Bloomington if you are coming from out of town. And it only gets better. Really a beautiful town. And I love living here. I do too. So that's my positive. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're in Bloomington. Yep, I am too. All right, y'all. This has been fun. Enjoy the day. Seize it with a mask on. (laughs) Keep your social distancing. This episode of My Racist Friend is a production of the Bloomington Center for Connection, an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. This conversation between Don Griffin Jr. and Amy McKee, LCSW, took place in separate locations in Bloomington, Indiana, on Saturday, October 3, 2020, and was edited for this podcast by Kevin McKeese. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. My Racist Friend will be attending the virtual Flyover Podcast Festival, hosted by Dimension Mill on October 8th and 9th. Don and Amy's session is scheduled for 2 p.m. on Thursday, October 8th. Tickets for the festival are $49, but use the discount code FRIENDS, F-R-I-E-N-D-Z, to get in for half price. For more information, go to flyoverpodcastfestival.com. Follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. You and your friend. That's the end. You sure? <laughs>